Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Let's get our hearts in tune for what God's going to do and how he's going to speak to us. Come on, let's hold them up and let's say it together. Ready? Read. This is my Bible. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah from Artiga K Campus says, I committed to attending church services in January 2019. I go every Sunday, and in July of 2020, I took the next step, and I was water baptized. I joined a small group, and I have found such support and friendship with some strong women that pray for me regularly. This year, in 2022, I'm committed to reading my Bible in a year, and I haven't missed a night yet. She says, this is a growing process that I never want to stop. I'm so excited for her. I'm so proud of her. She's all in. She's leaning in. And it made me think about this. Listen, just because I grow older, that doesn't mean I will grow stronger as a Christian. Amen. Time alone will just not make you a stronger Christian, a stronger man or woman of God. And that's why we've been on this series. It's our fourth week, and we're calling the series Building a strong Christian life, and the subtitle is Developing a Passion for Spiritual Disciplines. And some of us may not necessarily like that word, so I'm going to ease it up for us a little bit. Those of you who have been with me, you know what I'm talking about. We're saying that your Christian life is kind of like a great recipe that needs to come together with a bunch of really, really special and great ingredients. If you think about one of your favorite recipes, if you leave out some, you know, critical ingredients, then the recipe's not going to come out the way that you hoped it would. Well, it's kind of like that when it comes to your relationship with God. God's given us these ingredients. We'll call them spiritual disciplines, and they're fundamental. They're foundational if you want to live a strong Christian life. And if you only choose the ones you like, and you leave out the vegetables, so to speak, then you'll be missing something as you're growing in your relationship with God. So we're taking time to look at these spiritual disciplines from the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, and we're learning that these helped the early church. They've always helped the people of God grow strong in their relationship with him. And if we can discover them and learn to apply them to our lives today, here and now, they'll help us too. Amen. Isn't that true? Last week, we talked about developing a passion for the Holy Spirit. If you're unfamiliar with teaching in, in, in line with the Holy Spirit, uh, I want to encourage you, you can go back to our podcast 
Uh, you can watch Pastor Gill deliver that on a video. You can go to my Facebook feed, whatever, and you can catch that because we want for you to catch these. Each of these spiritual disciplines are going to help you grow stronger and stronger in your relationship with God. So new material today. I want to start by just asking you some questions. You don't have to raise your hand or answer out loud. Just kind of let them be down on the inside. Here's the first one. Do you engage in singing to God when the praise and worship team leads us? Do you join in quietly or silently uh, silently in your heart? Is that your preference? Or, Or do you clap? And do you lift your hands like Brittany was encouraging us today? Or do you shout joyfully and sing loudly to God? And, and that might be a different answer for everybody, but the Bible says we really should do all of that. It's all included. There isn't one specific way to do praise and worship when it comes to God. And so I want us to start by looking at Psalms 95. If you have a Bible, Psalms 95, it's not in your study guide. But I am going to have us to look at it as we start. It'll be on the screen as well. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. This is considered a psalm that they would use in, in their worship to God in the synagogues. So it's part of a church service, we could say. And I want us to read it together. Are you guys awake? Are you with me? Can you engage with me? Let's read it together. Psalm 95, seven long verses. You ready? On the count of three, we're going to read nice and loud. Those of you who are going to do it. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, come... Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let me emphasize verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Did you notice that it's a family? It's a congregation. It's not me on my own, although that is very applicable and biblical. But this is in the context of worshiping together. Let us come. Let us kneel down. Let us worship. Let us kneel before the Lord. He is our God. We're the sheep of his pasture. The title of today's message, if you want to know and you're taking notes, simply this, developing a passion for praise and worship. Would you say it with me, family? Developing a passion for praise and worship. Here's something I want you to think about as we're getting started. Praise and worship doesn't start with me singing. It starts with reverence for God in my heart. That's where praise and worship starts. Jesus was having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and they were talking about where true worshipers will worship. And in John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking 
such to worship him. What's spirit and truth? Well, most people would believe that Jesus is speaking about a person who comes alive in his spirit through a relationship with Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the new birth experience. And truth is humility. It's transparency. It's being open before God. And Jesus is bringing correction to the true meaning of worship, which is not where you worship, but how you worship from your heart, from pure motives, with your focus on God, with your focus on Christ. The word worship that Jesus is using here, it's an interesting Greek word, proskuneo, proskuneo. And I want to explain it, P-R-O-S, pros, and that means to move forward or to lean in towards someone. And the second part of the word kuneo uh, comes from the word kuan, and it means to kiss the hand. So when Jesus is talking about worship in the New Testament, specifically this word proskuneo, he's, he's trying to help us to understand that it's an attitude of our heart where we're moving closer to God. We're kneeling, we're bowing, not necessarily physically, although that's okay, but first and foremost in our heart. And we're moving close to him like we would want to kiss his hand if he was here. Sometimes you'll see me kneel. And I don't, I don't say that or do it to ever draw attention to myself. It's just, it's just at times I feel led to just bow, to kneel. It's biblical and we can do that. So Jesus is talking about this attitude of the heart that draws us closer to God during praise and worship when we're singing to the Lord. And based on Psalm 95, we can see it's all there, lifting hands. Where does it say that? The word thanksgiving comes from a root Hebrew word, yad, Y-A-D, which means hand. And so when we're giving thanksgiving and we're lifting our hands, we're saying, thank you, God. I'm extending to you, knowing that everything in life comes from you, and we thank you, and we bless you, and you honor, you, you, we honor you. In Psalm 95, you see it all. You see the, the joyful shout. You, you see the singing. You see the psalms. The psalms, the book of psalms, is a book of songs and hymns for churches, for us. So this is, a, this is a powerful, powerful subject, developing a passion for praise and worship. I want to show you something very interesting. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. If you have a Bible, this is worth one of those highlighting it or underlining it. Some of you may never have seen this before. Uh, but this is the very, very first time that the word worship is uh, seen in the Bible. Genesis 22.5, let me read it to you. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and the lad or the young teenage boy and I will go yonder, we'll go over there and worship. Say worship, come on, worship. And we will come back to you. First time in the Bible, the word worship. I want to just point out a couple of things here. There's something that is called the law of first mention when you're studying the Bible. The law of first mention says the first time a word or a teaching, a doctrine is mentioned in the Bible, that's the easiest, the clearest, simplest way to understand it. If you want to understand it in the rest of the scriptures, we got to first understand it the first time it's mentioned. And then from there, our understanding can broaden and go deeper. The law of first mention. Worship here is the very, very first time in the scriptures. 
if you study it later, what you're going to find out is that Abraham had been walking with God for many years. He had his promised son, Isaac. He's a teenage boy now. Most people believe 11, 12, 13, something like that. And God asks him to go up to a mountain and to literally sacrifice his son, Isaac, as a form of worship to God. And Abraham has some, some experience with God now, and he trusts God. And so out of obedience, he goes up to the mountain and he's on his way up there. And his son says, dad, we got everything. We got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham goes, yikes, God will provide. And so they're on their way up there. And the story goes, Isaac is on the altar and Abraham's about to sacrifice his son. I don't have time to go into details about sacrifice and why would God do that? And we'll have to save that for another time. But God, through an angel, stays Abraham's hand. He doesn't sacrifice his son. And he sacrificed a lamb or a ram that was coming up the other side of the mountain at the same time. And at the precise time when the angel stayed Abraham's hand, God pointed to the ram in the thicket. And Abraham worshiped with the sacrificial lamb prophetically pointing to Jesus, our ultimate sacrificial lamb. It's a powerful story, and the reason I want you to see it is because it's the first time the word worship is used, and there isn't any worship team. There probably wasn't any clapping. There might have been a song. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I want for us to understand that worship doesn't start with singing. Worship starts with reverence to God in your heart. Interesting story. Sometimes praise and worship will be a sacrifice for us. Have there ever been a Sunday where you come in and you just don't feel so great? Or life hasn't been so great? Or life has been difficult? Or you're going through a season, you got a bad doctor's report? Or you're just struggling financially? Or you had a fallout with your kids? Or life just isn't the way you want it to be. And yet that shouldn't determine our willingness to reverence God and offer him praise and worship, right? It's a response to God's goodness, not our circumstances. And sometimes the Bible points to what we call a sacrifice of praise. Let me show you. Hebrews 13, 15. It says, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. See, it's easy to praise God and to worship God in a corporate setting like this and sing songs and clap when everything is going well. Not so easy. It will be a sacrifice at times when things aren't going exactly the way you want them to. Now, as we're getting into this, I also want to remind us, it's very important we realize that praise and worship isn't limited to or restricted to what happens on a Sunday morning or on a worship night in our gathering when we're here. Really, the Bible talks to your whole life and my whole life being praise and worship to God. Let me show you. Romans 12.1 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. That's what Brittany was reminding us of. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth will be renewed like the eagles. So it, it's like our whole life. And then it says this, let them, referring to your whole life, your body, your mind, your soul, your whole life, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Listen to this. 
This is truly the way to worship him. Can I just affirm you? Can I just celebrate you? Can I just say I'm so proud of you to come out week after week after week on a Sunday morning to gather, to worship, to pray, to praise, to encounter God's people, to encounter God's worship, to encounter God's word. Not everybody is leaning into that in our culture these days just in case you haven't noticed. So it's a big deal. Sunday is still the Lord's day. It's a very sacred, it's a very special day. And we get an opportunity to do that. And maybe I don't feel like getting out of bed. Maybe I had a tough night. Maybe I had a tough week. And maybe it's just warmer in the sheets, right? Especially if it's cold and rainy. But because worship doesn't start with singing and it starts with reverence in my heart, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna shake out the sleep, I'm gonna get a cup of coffee, and I'm gonna come and join with worship with my family, amen? It's a sacrifice. It's something that we do to God because he's so good to us. Pastor Robert, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. I'm a worshiper. I haven't always been a pastor. I didn't grow up in a church family. This is something that has developed. And God wants it to develop in your life too. I have to lift my hands. I have to clap. I have to act like you, Pastor Robert. No, I'm not saying that. Let's just look at what the scripture says. And let's ask the Lord to help us to do what the scripture says. I promise there are benefits to engaging in praise and worship. That's kind of what I want to turn our attention to for the next couple minutes here. Three reasons why praise and worship is important when we gather. Remember, we're looking at the Bible. So we we want to use the Bible as our plumb line. There's a lot of opinions that could be put on the table. There's a lot of personal preferences that people could have. There's a lot of different type of church experiences that people come together with, but the plumb line is the B-I-B-L-E. Amen? That's the book for me. So we're going to look at what the book says. Number one reason, if you're taking notes and it's in your notebook, praise and worship welcomes God's presence. Say it with me, family. Come on. Praise and worship welcomes God's presence. Look at Psalm 22, 3. Psalm 22, 3, the psalmist says, But you, God, are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Somebody might say, well, Pastor Robert, I'm not in Israel. I'm not Jewish. Oh, but spiritually you are, friend. You've been grafted into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've got Jewish spiritual blood in Jesus' name. We're all part of the family. Notice what he says. You're enthroned in the praises of Israel. The word praise is a song or a hymn with thanksgiving and adoration to God. More importantly, the word enthroned. Think about it. Who sits on a throne? Come on, it's not a trick question. Anybody know the answer? Starts with a K. A king sits on the throne. The word enthroned means to inhabit or to sit as one crowned as king. It literally describes the presence of God as the sovereign king presiding over an individual or a congregation who's praising and worshiping him through hymns and songs. What does this tell us? This tells us that whenever an individual or a group of believers begin to worship God together, it creates an atmosphere in the spirit 
that is so welcoming that God shows up in the spiritual realm, seating himself in a posture of official response to his people as king. Can somebody say amen? What can happen there? What would you ask a king for? What, what would you want him to do for you? A king, he wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to love you. He wants to experience victory for you and breakthrough and provision. And King Jesus wants for you to experience restoration and healing. There's so much that we could come to the king for when he's among us. Come on, say it after me. Say it after me. I am a worshiper. Come on, I'm a worshiper. Yes. Some of you might be, oh man, this guy, he's had too many coffees. I've only had one coffee today. This is a great subject. It's a great subject. Number two, second reason why it's so important, praise and worship is important when we gather. You ready? God's presence brings God's glory. Come on, say it with me. God's presence brings God's glory. That's kind of a big Bible word. Let me see if I can help. To explain it, in Exodus 40, 34 and 35, Old Testament, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. The tabernacle of meeting was a temporary sanctuary, a temporary meeting place where Moses met with God and God's people met with God. Notice what it says. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. If you've read the Old Testament wanderings through the desert, you notice that God appeared as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. That was the presence of God. And when the cloud would rest over the sanctuary, the presence of God was so powerful, so tangible. The glory of the Lord would fill the temple. What's the glory? Well, in the Old Testament, the word for, for glory is kavod, K-A-B-O-D. It's pronounced like kavod with a V. Um, it describes the weightiness of God's presence, uh, carrying his love, carrying his care for people, uh, bringing with him miracles and deliverance and direction and everything else needed to change or transform an individual's life or destiny. It's the weightiness of God, the glory of God. The New Testament depicts the glory of God on Jesus. Look at John 1.14. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word glory in the New Testament is the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. I've mentioned this before. It's worth repeating. It's where we get the hymn that we call the doxology. Doxology. Ever heard of the doxology? Praise God from, how's it go? Come on. From whom all blessings flow, right? The doxology, doxa, connect the dots, glory. Doxa or glory on Jesus means splendor, radiance, majesty, absolute perfection that was residing in Christ. So when you saw Christ, when he walked on the earth, you saw the glory of God, the majesty, the radiance, the brightness, the awesomeness of God in the person of Jesus. So together, the Old Testament and the New Testament concepts of glory 
describes what actually happens when any individual or congregations enter into an intimate time of praise and worship to God. In response, God inhabits their praise, and out of the overwhelming weightiness of his glory, he releases his presence into our hearts and into our midst. How many of you, come on, have ever been in a time of praise and worship? Well, all of a sudden, a shift took place in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. The things that may have been on your mind before you got there, some of the things that are aggravating before you got there, during praise and worship, something happens if you're engaging and and you sense his his presence. There's a shift. I don't know how to explain it naturally, but something happens supernaturally. Uh, God is welcomed in an atmosphere and he brings his weight. He brings his presence. He brings his glory and you sense him. By the way, we sang a song today that says praise is a weapon over our enemy. And you can study that out in second Chronicles chapter 20. The king was going to go to battle. He was afraid. The enemy was outnumbering him, coming against him. The man of God heard from God, and he told the king to believe and to stand in faith. And the next morning on the battlefield, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that the king got the praisers and the worshipers to be in the front line of the battlefield. No bow and arrow, no sword, no shield, singing songs of praise and worship. And the story goes on to say that God just confused the enemy. They turned on each other. They slaughtered each other. And then the children of Israel went into their camps and said that they raided them of all of their plunder. Everything that they had one day, two day, three days collecting stuff that the children of Israel brought into their possession. Because of the victory that came, not through an archer, through a praiser. Amen. It's so good. Pastor Robert, are, are, you, are, you, are you making things up? No, Second Chronicles chapter 20. You have to check it out yourself. Let's keep going. Okay, number three. Third reason why praise and worship is so important when we gather. Ready? God's glory brings us into unity. Somebody say unity. One of the best examples of God's glory affecting people and bringing them into unity is found in Psalms 133. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, that's brothers and sisters in God, to dwell together in unity. In unity. And then it goes on and it says in verse 2 and 3, It, it, the dwelling together uh, in unity of the brethren, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Let me pause. What's that? Oil, beard, Aaron. Aaron was a priest before God, or he was installed, chosen and installed as a priest before God. That was Moses' brother. And God told Moses to take Aaron and his family, his sons, and, and inaugurate them, anoint them as priests before God. And so they would take this special anointing oil, and they would pour it on Aaron, and it would run down on his head, and it would run down on his beard, and it would run down on his garments and his feet. And it's symbolic It's symbolic of the unity of the body of Christ. It's symbolic of the unity of the Holy Spirit. By the way, 
Jesus Christ is our high priest. Amen? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the anointing on Jesus has been poured down. And when we engage in praise and worship, there's something in the spirit that happens. It begins to pour down on you. It begins to pour down on me. It begins to pour down on us simultaneously. And the unity of the spirit pulls us together, cinches our hearts together. And God is saying, there's nothing more precious. There's nothing more beautiful than when the body of Christ comes together in unity like that, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says it's like the dew of Hermon. It's a mountain descending upon the mountains of Zion for there, for there, unity. For there, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So powerful. Listen, that's three benefits, three, three really good reasons, but there's so many more for praise and worship, and some of them are going to be experienced in your own individual praise and worship at home. Uh, many of them will be experienced when we come together, but I just want for you to know that praise and worship is a, a uh, discipline, a spiritual discipline that I need to lean into and give myself towards it. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.